Welcome to The Ocean, episode 17. I'm Adam Mosley. Today, I want to talk about the dream, the vision, the one day, hopefully, maybe, how things might be for ourselves, our friends and family, and our world. So stick around. The Ocean Podcast. Life and faith that's welcoming, affirming, and encouraging to others and yourself. Here's our host, Adam Mosley. Well, 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 welcome back. I, I hope your November and December met or exceeded your expectations, however high or low they may have been. I hope you stayed away from people in general, but especially toxic people. I hope where necessary that you use the pandemic as a really good excuse to stay home and focus on your own health and well-being. Never has there been an easier year to say, yeah, I just don't think I'll be coming home for the holidays. But here we are. Some of you may have gotten to see your family for the first time in a long time after much testing and protocol following, of course. Others, uh, maybe you wish you could have seen your family, but you didn't get to for any number of reasons. Still, others may wish you hadn't seen your family. Let's just be honest, especially in this political purgatory of the past couple of months. Wherever you fall within or outside of that spectrum, let me just assure you, you aren't alone. I hope you've come to recognize that. I hope you at least follow some people somewhere on Instagram or Twitter who, who offer you reminders that other people struggle too. Over this past year, th those constant reminders on my timelines and feeds have really made me healthier, stronger, and helped me cope with what was a really strange and disheartening year. One of my favorite new Twitter follows is writer and theologian Jessica Kentrowitz, who, who for a long time now has been tweeting every single day the reminder, you are not alone and this will not last forever. Jessica also went viral back in November for virtually inviting people to her Thanksgiving table and then proceeding to draw a little stick figure person for each guest along with the side dish they said they would bring. And then she did the same thing at Christmas. So we'll, we'll throw uh, Jessica's Twitter handle in the show notes along with her link to, uh, to her Thanksgiving and Christmas table picks for those who haven't seen them. But it was just so wholesome and nourishing and then accompanied by her reminder that, that we aren't alone, that this will not last forever. Uh, Jessica is a, is a light in my little Twitter feed. Now, I don't know about you, but I need people in my life like that. Even people I've never actually met in person to, to come and say things like, hey, you're not alone in this. I need people to remind me that it won't always be this way, that whenever and whatever this happens to be for me at the time, that it will pass. I need that kind of optimism, not, not a denial of the situation at hand, but a hope for something better down the line, for a, a future that makes the present worth enduring. I also need unexpected things like Taylor Swift dropping two new albums in the middle of a pandemic, surprising albums, not just for their timing, but for the way they somehow embody the chaos, sadness, and yet wonder of this year. I need silly things like Ted Lasso's unbridled optimism 
I need delicious things like chicken biscuits with goat cheese and pepper jam. It turns out that even the toughest of days gets a little bit better with good music, laughter, and tasty food. That's why we're better together. It's why we miss each other so much when we can't be together. But it's also why when we can't physically occupy the same space, we flock to social media, streaming services, podcasts, looking for the things we would normally get from a group of friends. As we kick off 2021, most of us don't have the kind of rosy outlook we might have had for 2020. Like nobody is saying this is my year, like just in case we jinx it. We, we ended our year with record COVID numbers in the U.S. and a bombing in Nashville on Christmas morning. And while it's hard to imagine 2021 being worse than 2020, most of us recognize that it's still a possibility. Still, for me and this podcast, I am determined to focus on what we can become and the change we can make. I'm throwing it back to Obama 08 and invoking hope and change again. Not solely because I'm currently listening to President Obama in audiobook format, uh, and frankly, not because his method of hope and change worked all that well the first time around, but, but because I think when we stop looking for politicians to make our world a better place and instead engage in activist theology, activist faith, an activist humanity, the masses can come together for revolution. And I want to be a part of that. So that's my gig today. That's my gig this year. We're going to focus on possibilities and on the actions that can bring those possibilities to bear. But before I get too far down the road here, let me tell you about the Q Christian Fellowship Conference. Q Christian Fellowship is catalyzing a movement and the Q Christian Fellowship Conference happening this week, January 7th through 10th, is an annual gathering where hundreds of LGBTQ plus Christians and allies gather for worship, fellowship, workshops, and keynote speakers, making lifelong friendships, reuniting with those friends, experiencing healing, transformation, and hope, and witnessing the thrill of God's love and affirmation through each other. This year, like most other conferences, the Q Christian Fellowship Conference will be virtual. And while that means we can't gather together in person, it also means that even more people have affordable access to this amazing lineup of affirming events and speakers. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's not too late to register. The conference starts this Thursday, the 7th of January. So head over to qchristian.org. That's the letter Q christian.org for more info and to register. Poet Emily Dickinson wasn't exactly known for her sunny outlook on life, but even this death-obsessed emo poet understood the beauty and relentlessness of hope. Listen to these words. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings a tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. Hope is a powerful little bird. A beautiful little bird. Its song even more beautiful in the midst of a storm. 
And yes, 2020 has been a storm, a shit storm. And it's, it's tried in the words of Dickinson to abash the little bird of hope in us. Yet in the midst of a deadly pandemic, of increasing police brutality, of divisive and dangerous political rhetoric, of RV bombs, and of policy decisions that pose a direct threat to the lives of already oppressed people. That little bird of hope continued to sing in 2020. For some, it sang louder than ever. It gave energy to movements and amplified voices. Hope took us to the streets after George Floyd's murder. Hope kept us home when a virus threatened to wipe us out. Hope took us to the polls when there was a chance to halt the government's slide into full-blown, unabashed, white Christian nationalism. Hope for something better is a repudiation of the norm, but it's also something more. Hope doesn't just point out injustice, it motivates us toward justice. It doesn't just shout down oppressors, it compels us to help the oppressed. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without words and never stops at all. This is my mood as we move into 2021 to embrace hope as we look toward a preferred future and to let that hope energize our words and actions, our life and faith. And I think in order to do that, we have to bring some intentionality around how we interact with past, present and future. You know, so often I'm guilty of just kind of moving through time and space and letting things fall where they may. I I often ignore or dismiss the past and just sort of see the future as unknowable kind of just live in the now. That is unless I'm worrying about the future. And then I can imagine endless scenarios of how it's going to turn out wrong. But yes, the future may be unknowable, but we can still affect it. And we can affect it by learning from the past, engaging the present, and then pursuing the future we desire. Because let's face it, you can let life come at you, or you can actively pursue the life you want for yourself, your friends, and the world around you. Of course, learning from the past can be hard, at least beyond the very obvious lessons we learn from the difficulties in our lives. Like, it might be easy to learn to drive a little slower if I get a speeding ticket, but it takes more effort and intentionality to turn that experience into a lesson about the pace of my life, the way I deal with anxiety, my attentiveness and focus on the task at hand, or, or how my mental state affects me physically. To truly glean all that we can from the past, we have to be willing to dissect seemingly innocuous events, to pick them apart piece by piece, to do a post-mortem, an autopsy, to diagnose the underlying conditions and factors behind how and why those particular events played out. This is really one of the strengths of working with a therapist, right? Most therapists will do a lot of digging into our past. They're like mental forensic scientists. They, they take the me that is currently presented to them in whatever form that may be. And then they try to reconstruct this whole, uh, all of this and see how we got here. And it can be unnerving. It can be scary. It can stir up memories and trauma that you didn't know you had, But it can also offer valuable perspective as you begin to see your life through a different lens and and you have someone there to help connect the dots for you and to ask questions that help you put together some of the pieces of this puzzle. That's what happens in individual therapy, couples therapy, group therapy, 
what's the equivalent therapeutic conversation for a community of people or for a whole society or culture? That's what we need, isn't it? Like, it's great for us to have individual epiphanies and individual growth, but what does it look like for our entire societal structure to dissect and diagnose our past? Well, I think we've seen something like that at various times throughout history. I think of the civil rights movement. No, everybody wasn't on board, but there was a serious collective therapy happening in the 1950s and 60s in the U.S., an examination of the past and its effect on the present. There was a national conversation about race, injustice, inequality, and about the trajectory of humanity. And just like an hour or 10 hours or a thousand hours of therapy, that collective discourse didn't fix all the problems. But we made progress as a society. And at least some faction of our society has continued to work and grow and progress ever since. Perhaps the most significant change that occurred during those tumultuous times is that many people who weren't directly impacted by racism, namely white people, began to see their culture, speech, and actions through a different lens. There was significant movement among white Americans toward a more integrated and equal society. It wasn't enough, not enough movement, not enough people, but it was significant nonetheless. This past summer, we had a similar type of collective therapy experience as people all over the nation felt deeply compelled to respond to the murder of George Floyd in a physical way, to to maybe protest for the first time in their lives. And I don't know why Mr. Floyd's murder was the one that flipped the switch. Obviously, there have been others before and since. But the protests and conversations that followed were really centered around the history of racism in our country and the history of police brutality toward black and brown people. It was and is a movement centered around learning from our past and seeing how that racist past has contributed and continues to contribute systemically to our present social condition. Now, in our little corner of the internet, on the Ocean Podcast, we are not going to magically change society. That's not how these things work. We're not going to change the church. We're not going to change our communities. But the hope is that just like community organizers who work unnoticed for years, sometimes decades in small communities, and then over time come together to form a larger movement, the hope is that this ocean community will do the work we're doing, impacting each other, And also begin to work with other like-minded communities who are doing similar work. And maybe if a bunch of little groups come together, we can affect cultural change in our society. That's why you'll hear me continue to revisit the past, my upbringing in the evangelical church, my time spent in the white conservative bubble, the atrocities of a marriage of church and state that has served to oppress entire communities of people since even before the founding of our nation. We have to know where all this came from, how we got here. If we're going to have any sort of pathway forward, we have to learn from our past. But we can't be fixated on the past. I'll be the first to admit that I can sometimes get too deep into the weeds on the past transgressions of history, uh, broadly and the transgressions of those around me and how they impacted me and others. It's good to acknowledge those things and let them inform our actions, but there's also a time and place to shift our focus to more immediate matters, to engage the present. 
Because while learning from the past can be incredibly valuable, if it doesn't fuel action in the present, then it's just an academic exercise. Knowing must be accompanied by doing. As Maya Angelou once said, I did then what I knew how to do. Now that I know better, I do better. Engaging with the present is about doing better, not being perfect. We won't be, but we can do better. And then work to do better than that, to gain more knowledge, more understanding, more wisdom, and to grow in the ways we engage with the present world and the people around us. For me, engaging the present is really about realigning my priorities, deciding that investing in things that will help build a better tomorrow should take precedent over some other things in my life, at least some of the time. I mean, yes, there are times to focus on self. Self Self-care is incredibly valuable. Self-care is as much a part of long-term engagement as anything. But there are also times to spend your energy investing in other people, other lives, other narratives, even other places and communities. Making the world a better place is a job for all of us, and none of us can do it alone. We're all just a single drop in the ocean, but we must remember that the ocean is made of drops. Each one of us can play a small role in a major tidal shift. In our society, in our faith communities, in our families and extended families. But we have to care enough to engage. Engage not only the big issues of the day, but the minutia of life. That's one of the reasons I love social media. I mean, not Facebook, but other social media. Some people hate it for this reason, but I love it. I have an always-on connection with, at this point, several hundred people. And for those who choose to invite me in, I have a little window into the minutia of their life. And they, when I choose, have a window into the minutia of mine. We know what the other one ate for dinner. We know what conversation they just had with their partner. We encourage each other. Sometimes we challenge each other. We commiserate our failures and celebrate our successes, large and small. Mostly we remind each other that we aren't alone. We are being the friends we need for each other. So the idea is that we're learning from the past and engaging the present in order to get us to a place where we can do some really fun, visionary stuff, pursuing the future. What do I mean by that? For me, pursuing the future is about envisioning a preferred state and taking the next best step in that direction, consistently forging ahead with passion and energy and vision toward that which could be that which should be, and doing it in concert and community with like-minded people who pick me up when I fall down and who know I'll do the same for them. We pursue relentlessly what we envision, what we dream of. And like a massive wave in the open ocean, we can move fiercely toward that vision for a long time, largely unnoticed. But there will come a day when that wave crashes to the shore and alters the landscape of our society. Beneath the surface, there is a pulsing, rising, rushing of the sea. We're a long way from shore now, but we're moving. We are a wave moving toward an inclusive life and faith where all people can find belonging regardless of who they are, who they love, who or how they express their faith, or even how significant faith or spirituality is or isn't in their lives. 
We are a wave moving toward justice for all, not as a platitude, but as an ongoing active pursuit. We're a wave of activists raising our voices when we see oppression and injustice. We are a wave of friends and allies caring for each other, loving each other, and going through the best and worst of times in a supportive family. And we are a wave of deconstructionists committed to tearing down that which tears down others and building up that which builds up others. We are tiny drops committed to taking the ocean in a new and exciting direction, learning from the past, engaging the present, and pursuing the future. In season two of the Ocean Podcast, we're going to talk about what it looks like to co-create our lives and our communities with a diverse group of friends and co-creators sharing a variety of perspectives and strengths and experiences. We're going to lean into the incredible freedom of not feeling like we have to have all the answers to life's questions. We're going to discover theologies and theological voices that have long been suppressed in conservative churches exploring ideas considered too extreme for the white evangelical church. And we're going to spend some time considering the wisdom of the ancients, connecting and grounding ourselves in the creative physical space we inhabit. And I'll be honest, a lot of this stuff I'm learning along with you. I'm not an expert in any of this. My job is to simply open some doors that then we will walk through together learning, discovering, doing and undoing, succeeding and failing, fumbling and stumbling our way into what I hope and believe will be a fuller life, a richer, more loving, more engaged, more significant human experience. And if we're going to move in that direction, the only way I know how to do it is one step at a time. So if you'll join me, come back next week and we'll continue this journey together leaning on our collective hope, which perches in our soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. I'm Adam Mosley, and that's all I've got. The Ocean Podcast is produced and written by me, Adam Mosley, and recorded in Athens, Georgia. The theme music was composed by Irina Kakiani, and the opening voiceover is by Rachel West. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Adam Mosley. For reproduction, interviews, or bookings, email request at theoceanpodcast.com.